0: So tonight we're gonna uh, gonna continue looking at God as Savior. We um, started last time looking at what has got, what God has done um, in order to to save us, and looked at, at Scripture there. And tonight we're gonna look at start to look at uh, the idea that, that the salvation of of mankind it, it was a uh, and is a Trinitarian act. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all working to save. And so uh, tonight we're going to look at the Father's work in salvation. What the Father has done in salvation. So the first point that we uh, see tonight is that God the Father sent His Son. The Father sent the Son. Uh, One of the most... Uh, probably the most well-known and most loved verses in the Bible, Uh, John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. We see there He gave His Son. He sent the Son. And one thing that I've I thought was very interesting. Here is um, the word "so" in this verse. That's translated "so" carries the idea of um, of being in this way or as follows. Um, so then we could we could translate this as God loved the world. In this way, by sending his son, or God loved the world as follows in sending his son, or or God loved the world in the following way, and so I found that interesting because you know growing up and, and hearing and and reading and reciting this verse so many times, I, I always had it in my mind that it meant that God so loved the world, you know the idea of that it referred to you know, God's intensity or or the amount of God's love for the world. But instead, this verse is, is describing how God loved the world. He loved the world by giving His only Son. The very next verse in John tells us, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. He sent the Son into the world. Also in 1 John chapter 4, John writes, The Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. And so numerous verses here talking about this act of of the Trinity of the Father sending the Son. And not only do we see that the Father sent the Son, but we also see that the Father then imputed our sin to His Son. Imputed our sin. Imputed, good theological word that we should all use. Um, So some other ways that we could say this is that the Father considered our sin to be the sin of his son, or the father thought of our sin as being the sin of his son. Or the father looked upon his sin as possessing our looked upon his son as, as possessing our sin. All of these uh, ways of trying to express this idea. So to impute is to count something that one person has as being that of another to count or to consider. And so the Father counted our sin as being that of the Son. And in all of this, for this to to take place, the Father sent the Son to take on human flesh. And so in Romans 8, we read, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, cannot do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. So he was sent in the likeness of sinful flesh, yet he was without sin. Then he was sent in that likeness so that he might have flesh with which to suffer and to die. You now, the son did not deserve to die. On his, on his own accord because death is a consequence of sin and there was no sin in him nor did he ever commit any sin. So therefore, the death that he died was for our sin that was considered by God to be the sin of his son. It was imputed. In another place, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Scripture says that for our sake, God the Father made God the Son to be sin by considering the sin of mankind to be His, even though He knew no sin. And the Father did this so that in the Son we might become the righteousness of God. And so what we see in this verse actually describes a double imputation. So, God considers our sin to be the sin of the Son, and He then also considers the perfect righteousness of the Son to be the righteousness of those who believe in Him. So, we see just this incredible wisdom on the part of God to, to work out this system in which both His perfect justice is satisfied in, in the judgment and the punishment of the Son for our sin as our substitute, and yet we're forgiven of our sin and restored in our relationship to God because His perfect righteousness is considered to be ours who repent and believe in the gospel. Both His justice and His love and His mercy. Along with the Father sending the Son and then imputing our sin to His Son, we also see that the Father punished His Son. Punished His own Son. And um, In the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 53, we see this suffering servant and um, this prophecy of Jesus, of Christ. And it says, Surely He has borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him, stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. So seven words here that are used to describe the punishment that the Son endured from the Father. Because of our sins, stricken, smitten, afflicted, pierced, crushed, chastisement, and wounds. This precious, pure, perfectly holy Son of God, considered by God and seen by God as sin, And so the Son was judged by God and punished for those sins that were imputed to Him. This was done in the, in the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross and in his experiencing His death. And, and then Scripture says that um, at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we see that on the cross the Father forsook Jesus. The Son. Now, I'm not sure exactly what all that entails. Um, I, I know that there, was, there wasn't like a, a rip in the middle of the Trinity, um, but but there was a forsaken, a forsaking that took place in that moment to the one who, on his own, he, he didn't deserve it, but he took punishment because of our sin. I also thought, um, as I was studying through this, it was interesting when I saw that um, we we read in the book of Hebrews, um, which is quoting the book of Joshua, and we see God's promise to His people that He will never leave us nor forsake us. And I just thought about the, the son being forsaken so that we might never be. And, um, just kind of incredible to, to meditate on and think about that. So in Isaiah 53, a few verses later, in verse 10, we read, Yet it was the will of the Father... To crush him. To crush the son. And the phrase that here is translated, will um, of the Lord, will of the Father, it carries this idea of delighting in or taking pleasure in something. And um, in other words, the the Lord was delighted to crush him. The Lord took pleasure in crushing him. And... um, That sounds rather strange to say about the the internal working in relationship of the triune God. So how how are we supposed to, to understand this? Well, Paul Washer writes this, God did not gain some sadistic pleasure by crushing His own Son under the full weight of His wrath. Rather, He was pleased that through Christ's suffering and death, the will of God was accomplished. And the way of salvation was opened for His people. Christ bearing the punishment that we deserve in our place is our substitute. The Father punished the Son. And next we see that not only did the Father send the Son, did He impute our sins to the Son, He punished the Son, but He also raised His Son to life. And exalted Him. He raised Him to life and exalted Him. And so under this, um, this heading, we're going to look at three points. First, we see in Scripture that the Father raised the Son from the dead. It's this miraculous event that, that's recorded at the end of, of each of the Gospel accounts. And we read of a a very direct testimony of this twice early on in the book of Acts. Um, In Acts 2, Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. And he's citing from Psalm 16. And he tells the men of Israel that are, are listening to him that Christ was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption, but rather God raised him up. And then in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John had healed a lame beggar. So that the Scripture says that he began to walk and to leap and to praise God. And all the men of Israel gathered around Solomon's portico. And and again, Peter speaks and he asks them, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. It's not their power that, that did this. It's the power of, of Jesus whom God raised from the dead. It is by that power that this man walked. Also in Romans chapter 6, there Paul writes that Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Raised by the glory of the, Father. the second point in this is um, he raised the son from the dead and he then exalted his son to his right hand. We see this in Philippians chapter 2. It's um, one of the greatest Christological passages in, in the New Testament. It says that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We also see this truth in, um, in the book of Acts, in chapter 5. This is, this is when the apostles w- were brought in before the council, and they were cre- questioned by the high priest. And it says, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostle answered, We must obey God rather than men. And then in the very next verse, it says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Over and over, we see this testimony that the Father exalted the Son. And the third point that we see, That the Father raised him from the dead, he exalted him to his right hand. The Father now calls all men to repent. This universal call and command of God that, that everyone, from every place, from all time, repent and believe in the death, the burial, and resurrection of the Son. In Acts chapter 17, here Paul's preaching. And he proclaims, now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Also John writes in his first epistle. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as He has commanded us. It's the commandment of God that men repent. It's only by repenting and believing that we have eternal life. It's only by repenting and believing that that the righteousness of the Son is imputed to us. It's only by repenting and believing in the Son that we will be raised to life eternal with Him. Forever. So we've seen last week, we've seen tonight all that God has done to save sinners. And now we see that we're responsible as individuals to turn from our sin and turn to Him. So tonight we've looked at the work of the Father in salvation. Next time we'll come back and we'll look at the work of the Son. And what he has done, so let's pray, Father, we thank you for tonight, this time that we've had this thank you for the truth of your word From seeing the the love of the father and sending the son and the whole design of, of uh, what you have done for us, father I pray that we would we would meditate on these things, father, and that we would We would go and we would, Lord, we would obey out of love for you. And so we pray this.